This week on Writers Inc. If I get tired of a story, it's usually only lasts for a day or two, and I have to figure out like how to get excited about the next scene, and then I'm all back in it. Uh, I love days where I have like no appointments, don't have to leave the house except to walk the dogs, and I can just write all day. It's you know you wish more were like that. Maybe if all days were like that, they'd be less precious. But <laughs> whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. How you doing today, JD? I'm doing well. How about you? Good, man. We're uh, uh, getting your new microphone's office set up still kind of tweaked. Uh, what's the latest on it? Yeah, I mean, it, this is like turned into a project all by itself. So I got the, the new microphone is finally working. So the mic was definitely the problem and I'm on it right now. And I'm, I'm still trying to tweak that. And we were just talking a little bit off the air, but you know, I'm trying to keep my head straight. You know, without, because I've got a habit of, you know, moving around and nodding and, you know, turning this way, turning that way. And it's, it's, you know, it obviously screws up the sound and this mic is a great mic, but it's, it's very sensitive to that. So I'm, I'm watching that. Um, I had a bookcase in my office and I know, but nobody can see this at this point, but we had one put in and I just, I didn't like it. Um, so it came back out and now I've got a brand new one going in. Um, so that's going to hopefully be finished sometime soon. And I can figure out where my desk is going to end up in this room. I'm going to try and come up with some kind of more of a permanent solution. Um, I've got a really nice 4k, you know, HD camera that I want to set up. Um, but I'd like to mount it all somewhere along with maybe a microphone stand. Um, but some way in a, in a way where I can just tuck it away because the, the house is, you know, it's like an old colonial, um, you know, so I, I, I try to hide the electronics as much as possible because they just look so out of place. Um, so, but yeah, it, it's getting there. Yeah, and a I think. Bit at a time. Well, and once the uh, bookcases go up too, I think that's going to help with the acoustics in your room. It'll absorb some of the uh, some of the uh, reflections too, and and that'll make a difference. Like I think it's a lot of people underestimate the room and and how that affects the recording. And uh, so, mic is important. Mic technique is important, but so is room acoustics. So I think that's going to help when you get your bookcases back up. Yeah, and every surface in this this room right now is like geared towards bouncing sound around. You know, yeah. hardwood floors like there's there's no carpet, no rug, or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm sure that's not helping at all. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I wanted to give our listeners a, a quick update on my manuscript that I've been working on, and I've been feeding you some chapters here and there. And I gotta say, man, the the recommendation to write a dialogue only first draft is completely changing the way I approach writing, it, for for the better. <laughs> Like, it, it, it's fun, right? Like it, it, it is first, like, I like doing it because I can have the computer read it back to me. And, you know, this way I know I've got a solid conversation because you can always add the color in later. You can add the background and then, you know, the descriptions and all those types of things. Um, but that this, you know, the, the conversation, that's what really draws you know, people in and holds on to them and, and makes it feel like a story that's moving forward. And if you can get that right, you know, the, the rest of it will definitely follow. Yeah. And I, I'm working with a coach, Jeff Elkins, and uh, we'll probably talk more about him later, but I'm meeting with him once a week and we're going over, uh, you know, a handful of scenes together. So as we go, he's giving me pointers on voice and styling and word choice because he's kind of a linguistic expert with dialogue. He, he works on it with AI. 
And uh, so be between that recommendation of starting with dialogue and then working with Jeff, I just, I feel like a brand new writer. Like I, <laughs> I have an excitement coming to the page that um, I, I haven't had. And I think I, I realized I may have gotten into a bit of a rut or kind of hit a learning plateau. And, and this is shaking it up for me in a great way. Well, the one thing you have to be really careful of when you write this way is uh, watch your length of the the story because you know you, you are going to add quite a bit into it once you get through with the dialogue. And if you end up at eighty thousand words with just dialogue, then you've you've got a problem. So yeah, I mean, a, a good sweet spot is probably like between fifty and and sixty thousand. I mean, and even that's really dialogue heavy. Yeah, um, but just try to keep that in the back of your mind. Like each scene at this point should be about two thirds of what a normal scene should be from a length standpoint. Yeah, that's good to know. I'm typically an underwriter, so I don't think that'll be too big of a problem for me. But I would imagine if you were an overwriter that you'd be you'd be cutting out a lot if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, I am an overwriter for sure. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of words on my cutting room floor at the end of each book. <laughs> so, uh, what are you working on? What's new in your world? Um, I'm doing the two books at once right now, and, and it seems to be working. I've, I've got one that I, I pounded out an outline with, um, with Patterson coaching me on it, um, you know, a hardcore coaching me. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let me give up even when I wanted to. Um, but I got the outline together, um, and I'm working on that book in the morning, and then in the afternoons, I'm, I'm working on a structure and an outline for a second book, and I actually started the writing process on that one. Um, so it seems to work as long as I break up the day with just that little bit in between, um, you know, with the you know lunch and, and I take a couple of phone calls and stuff like that and then kind of get back to it. It allows me to hit the reset button and and hit the ground. Um, and I'm finding that the, the words are, are, are fresher that way, too, because one of the problems that I've run into in the past is if I sit down, I, I do two to three thousand words a day. Um, but my real sweet spot is probably like the thousand to fifteen hundred mark. That's like that's the good words. You yeah, know, and I can keep here. going. Yeah, but it, yeah, it, it trickles down. It's just not, the quality is just not there. But I find that if I do this and I reset and change projects, I, I basically get, you know, that same level of quality times two. Um, and it gets easier every day, just like anything else writing related. I think the more you fall into that pattern, the more repetitive it is, the, the easier it gets. Now, were you, uh, before this, were you pretty convinced that you couldn't write two projects at once? I've tried it before, um, but I've never actually been able to do the, the writing part of it at the same time. Like typically I'll, I'll do the creative portion in the morning um, and then I would you know, take phone calls, answer emails, break for lunch and then come back. And I would, if anything, work on like editing or, you know, something that doesn't really require the kind of brain power that the creative side needs. Um, and that's what I've done for, for years and years and years. But I find that, you know, like right now, like I'm, I'm sort of in between books from an editing standpoint. So if I weren't writing a second book in the afternoon, I, I wouldn't have a project to work on. Um, and I can only stare out my window so long before I start getting bored. So right. I, I figured, you know, worst case, I try it and I, and I fall flat on my face or, or it works. But And it seems to be working. Cool. That's good to hear. I, I always love hearing stories of people who say like, yeah, I didn't really think I could do this. And now I am. And I, I think that's a, that's a great lesson for everyone is like question your own abilities, question your own beliefs, because you never know. Yeah, well, I think that's where, where you know, and I, I, I always tell people I'm a pantser, but that's the benefit of actually having an outline. It allows you to sit down and, and write a book and put a lot less brain power into it. Um, I find when I'm out on my run every day, like I'm still, I'm only focused on the one book where I'm actually working on a creative portion. Um, the one that's got the outline done, I don't really have to do that anymore. Um, so, because that, that's where it got tricky for me. You know, I would go out on that run and it's like, which book am I going to actually think about? Um, and, and, you know, like trying to make a conscious decision of that is hard enough because your subconscious is constantly weighing in with, with something else, trying to override what you really want to think about. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult, but this, this seems to be working. Cool. Cool. You'll have to keep us updated on that. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, today we have, uh, my friend, Lindsay Broker is going to come on the show. Um, Lindsay is a pretty big time indie. 
Uh, she's been at this for a long time, and uh, I, I think I'm going to be excited to talk to her. Um, do you know anything about Lindsay's uh, work? I, I didn't before. I, I've researched her name a little bit since then. Um, and I mean, it's, it's impressive. I mean, it, it, to me, what, what really gets me every day is the number of authors that are out there making a really nice living from their work that you've just never really heard of. They're not, they're not household names. And, and I tend to work in that household name environment, um, you know, because I, I'm working with, you know, published, traditionally published authors. So it's, it's a very different dynamic, but there are a lot of people out there that are doing very well um, that most you know, people haven't heard of. And, and they're probably fine with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you're making 50 to, to $100,000 a month from your, your self-published titles, you know, the, the more power to them. I mean, there, there's nobody else, you know, ringing their phone, telling them they have to change a title, they have to change a cover, they have to do this, they have to do that. They're their own boss. Um, I, I really do like that. Yeah. And Lindsay really is the epitome of the independent uh, publisher and author. So I think it's going to be a, a great conversation. And uh, so, yeah, let's say, why don't we get into it? All right. Here she is, Lindsay. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here because it's been it's been almost three years now since we did American Demon Hunter's Sacrifice on Authors on a Train. And uh, I'm wondering now that there's some distance between that, if you have any sort of thoughts on that experience or, or recollections about it. <laughs> uh no, the, you know, actually, I enjoyed like hanging out with you guys and doing the project. The only thing I would not do again is sleep on that train. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like laying there, waking up every time it honks going through town. And <laughs> it wasn't as posh of an experience as I always imagined. Like, yeah, train travel sounds so romantic, you know. No, it's not. It's not quite that exciting. <laughs> what about the uh, the co-writing nature of it? I know that was your first sort of big dip into that pool, and um, you know, looking back on that, how how was that? And I mean, I know you don't you're not co-writing now, but like, uh, yeah, what was that like? Right, it did not start a new trend, and now I, I co-author everything. It was you know it was good to do once, and I you know, it's like, I know I could do it again. I, I felt like we came to get, you know, brought together a cohesive story in the end. But I, I was just telling somebody the other day, I'm not one of these people who's ever going to probably hire like ghostwriters and just give them the plot and have them do it. I'm, I'm a little too arrogant <laughs> in that I believe only I can write like my characters and my voice. And I just, it's not really that tempting to me. Like, uh, I know a lot of people really enjoy it. Obviously, uh, you and Zach seem to just really mesh and put together a lot of great stories but it, I think I learned it's probably not for me and, it, and yeah. that's okay yeah. you know it's fine <laughs> yeah it's true and it was a kind of a low stakes low commitment kind of thing and, and that's what I tell people too if you're you know if thinking about co-writing start with like a short story or a novella you know don't commit to someone for a nine book series before you even know what you're getting into so i think it's good that you did that and kind of have have enough self-awareness to go yeah that's kind of probably not for me it's true if you were doing a nine book series and you were boy i'd hope you at least did some practice stuff to know you know that i think so much of it is the business side too and just getting along with personalities that you kind of need to test the waters before you jump into something major. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of testing the waters, I've been listening uh, with fascination and uh, taking notes about your dip into urban fantasy. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of where, where things are with that right now? Sure. My first book actually launches tomorrow and it's 
Um, it's actually something I avoided for quite a while. I, I'll stick with like epic fantasy and space opera because I grew up reading that stuff and felt a little more comfortable in those genres. And also urban fantasy is pretty much the most competitive, you know, that and paranormal romance, uh, of course, is also very uh, popular and competitive. So I was like, well, I'm probably just going to get buried. You need like a top thousand ranking in the store to even make it into that category. But um, I'm giving it a shot. I, you know, I think the character I came up with wanted to be a modern day character working with her therapist while she's assassinating monsters, you know, <laughs> and I couldn't really see that in a, like a steampunk setting or something. So uh, I, I read a few book ones that were popular right now. I'm like, am I even in the ballpark? Because I, I haven't read a lot of it. I've read some of the traditional published, like Patricia Briggs and Alana Andrews, and but it's hard as an indie to compare like, can you do, can you replicate what they're doing with their publisher and 10 years and however many books, you know, you don't know. <laughs> so I, I, I think it'll go okay. I, I don't know if I'll knock anybody's socks off, but um, yeah. so hopefully it's, you know, at least worth doing. What, what's your general approach as far as uh, investing into the series? So like, you know, you're, you're just starting out with this urban fantasy. How are you going to know if it's something successful enough that you want to continue writing in it? Well, I actually like to write at least three books ahead. And part of that is that the rapid release can be useful when launching series, but also I just, I'm, I'm committed to doing at least three then before I start getting any feedback from anybody except my beta readers. So I can't get discouraged if it doesn't do as well as I hoped. And then I tend to do a series where like, I could stop after five if either I'm done with the characters or it doesn't seem to be doing as well as I'd hoped. But I also try to set things up. Well, maybe I could do eight or nine if, if you know, if it's selling decently and if I'm enjoying the story. That's a big part to me. You know, I, I feel lucky enough that I have enough readers that will probably pick up anything that I can. It's not like I'm going to lose money on a series. But, uh, you know, you never know when you step in bed with some new characters, new people. <laughs> How is it going to go? <laughs> but um, I've actually enjoyed it more than I expected because I, I was a little scared of doing modern day Earth, you know, I put it in Seattle, which I know you guys visited, <laughs> and uh, kind of messed up the town a little bit. But uh, it, it's been pretty fun. Is that three book that that's sort of your own internal mechanism that you've promised yourself that you're not going to make any judgments until three books are out? Is that right? Right, uh, and then that also lets me do stuff like if I come up with world building ideas in book three and I haven't published one yet, I can still go back and tinker or like foreshadow something. So. Obviously, I write faster than, you know, most people who are still working full-time jobs and, you know, are just trying to squeeze it in between the, the kids' soccer match and, uh, you know, the day job. I, I have the fortune and luck to be able to do this full-time, so it doesn't take a long time to write three novels for me, uh, especially this series is just one point-of-view character, so it, they've been coming out pretty quickly, especially after my uh, the space opera I'm also working on finishing up. I have two more left. There's like seven point of view characters now in the story, wow. <laughs> and they're like 120 to 150,000 words. So those are a little more of a time commitment. Well, I've seen firsthand that you are a beast, and I mean that as, as a, the highest compliment <laughs> when it comes to word count and production. Can you talk a little bit about your what your writing time looks like or your writing day or how you schedule it? Or give us a sense of what your day-to-day -day looks like as in pertains to writing. Sure. And it's funny that you say that because I see so many people that write even more than I do. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of a slacker. <laughs> I only <laughs> I got out like nine, <laughs> nine novels last year instead of two, one every two weeks or whatever. Um, but 
I, you know, when I'm kind of like really into a story, I'll shoot for like 10,000 words a day or um, if I have a deadline coming up with my editor and I'm like, I'm trying to do too many things at once, uh, that'll be it. Uh, probably natural is like maybe seven, 8,000. And sometimes when I'm writing something that's more complicated, like I'm doing book seven of that space opera right now, it can be a struggle to even get like five, 6,000 words the down. paltry five or 6,000. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrible. I know. Um, you know, my writing day, I, I try to just... You know, I sometimes when I'm trying to get a lot done, I'll write a little bit in the morning first thing with my latte. I'm like waking up, <laughs> putting some words down. I'm not a morning person, but for some reason I do seem to be productive then. And then my dogs usually start pestering me. So I got to take them out for a walk and get some daylight and then, uh, you know, come back, make some food. And that's afternoon sort of when I do most of my work. And then it, again, it, you know, in the evening, it's just if I still have words to do, I'll, I'll keep working or I'll go take a break and then come back. But ideally, I like did actually finish up by like five or so. And then, you know, go to the gym, go play some tennis, occasionally go out and meet other people, <laughs> in like face to face world. Occasionally. It's really, really weird. I try not to do too much of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is that seven days a week, pretty much? It can be when I'm working on a project. I tend to take time off between books instead of like, oh, this is the weekend. But, you know, sometimes you just have if a couple of things are going to be like appointments or something's coming up. I'll just say, like, OK, you know, this is an admin day. Maybe I'll just do some email or something and then not work on other stuff. But I'm not the best at taking weekends off. Yeah. I usually have to schedule a trip somewhere to actually take like a week off and like do a cruise. I've done that with friends before. And the Internet access is so awful that you're just not that tempted to work. So I highly recommend them. They're fairly affordable as far as vacations goes because it's all included. So I could just see back. you like on the corner <laughs> of the deck somewhere with a cocktail napkin and a pen, just like getting words out. I try not to. I have to go with other people though. If I'm like by myself, then forget it. You know, I'll just be like, okay. Yeah. Might as well just write a little bit while I'm here. <laughs> and, uh, I, I know that um, this isn't directly related to the Urban Fantasy series, but you've dabbled with multiple pen names as well. Uh, so where are you with that now? I, I have a feeling you sort of retired that, but the strategy in general, how did that work for you? Yeah, there was. I think the end of 2014, I did a pen name, uh, Ruby Lyons Drake, for um, sci-fi romance. And part of it was just inspired because I'd had a, like a sex scene in one of my fantasy novels and some of the readers complained because that wasn't really my, usually I'm more of a fade to black, you know, they kissed and, and they were like, what is this? <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe I'll just do a pen name. And then I decided to go ahead and do kind of a secret pen name, at least for a while, just to see, you know, there was always people talking like, can you still you know, break in today and do well as a self-published author. And so I wanted to see, you know, if I could. And that was a little more of an underserved genre at the time, too. So that I saw an opportunity in that. Um, and it went well. I That was probably the first time I did the three, writing three novels before releasing anything. So that just gives you more to play with right away. I made the first one, 99 cents, and then free. And the two and three were, I think they went into KU when we were full price. And it, you know, it worked, even if it wasn't like, I would say I didn't really hit the tropes that are really popular in that particular niche, but I definitely found that there were people that like just sort of my space opera, they were kind of space opera romances and it, it did well, but I did find it's as time, you know, I have about 15 books under that name, but um, 
it's a little hard to keep two separate names going because yeah. you stop releasing under your regular name for eight months or whatever while you're launching a new series under the other one and you know sales drop off and then it it's a challenge and yeah it's i'm not saying retired forever i figure i could always do another series if i'm inspired to you know i, I would just do the same thing do yeah three first and then do a, a big launch and you know, um, nothing's forever, but I, I've certainly seen other people bring their pen name back when they don't want to like have two separate entities and just throw them on the cover and say, right, you know, whoever writing as whoever. Uh, so I've also considered that um, I would have to put a little warning. There are, you know, if the man chest covers weren't <laughs> enough of a clue, there are sex scenes in this. So you have been warned. Um, but so that's a thought. It is a lot of work to anybody considering it. And as soon as you stop releasing books under the pen name it's very hard to keep anything going like you can run a little ams strip campaign with the amazon ads or something but your focus and everything tends to be on whatever you're working on i find and so it's it's a challenge to know like this new release though i i've thought wow i see why people do pen names still because my also bots are just uh-huh. i went to that yassive Amazon thing where you can see what books link to yours. And I was like, oh, a bunch of space opera. Oh, these box set dragon books that are like epic fantasy. I, I Even though I've been targeting urban fantasy authors with Amazon ads, it's just like, it's such a small portion of just the sales that came from my readers who have been reading my space opera <laughs> most recently. So I don't know. That's another reason I'm like, I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be some amazing launch for just Amazon you know, the algorithms just sell those books and they're just going like hotcakes. So you probably need to do a couple series in a new genre if you're going to commit just to give yourself time to gather new fans and, you know, get the right reader, get your books into the right reader's hands. Well, you, I mean, you have enough of a readership that uh, it, it seems like that's in the long game, that's that those algorithms or those also bots getting messed up are not going to be a major concern for you. I think it affects a launch most, but yeah. if you're okay with it, just like, well, it's okay. I just accept. And that's how it's always been for me. Um, I'm not really to market to trope enough that stuff just sells, you know, <laughs> even if it gets recommended a lot, it's never anything really that catches on super crazy with the Amazon algorithms, which, which is fine. I just accept that, you know, I have to get my book one into people's hands and work on doing that. And then enough of my kind of people that like whatever P humor, <laughs> you know, super classy stuff in their genre fiction will find it. And that, you know, and it's fine over the long run. I do feel silly sometimes, like worrying, like, well, how can I appease the Amazon gods and make my launch just right? And I'm going to like, here's the newsletter this day. And then this day, somebody else's newsletter. And then, oh, we got to kick in some book club ads. And <laughs> you're kind of like really traditional published authors are not doing this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were also uh, one of the esteemed authors who had a Kindle world and, and then Amazon pulled the plug on that. And I, I'm curious uh, as to what the state of all that IP is. Did you do anything with it? Did you let it go? Like we're a few years removed from that, but I'm, I've always been curious as to like what happened after they shut that program down. They really just kind of abruptly said, okay, this is over. You know, next month is the last month, yeah. <laughs> whatever you guys are getting paid. Right. So I, I didn't do anything with it. I just told all the people who had written stories, they were welcome to publish them on their own. And, and some of them have done it in KU and some of them have gone wide with them. And that series that they're based on for me is also wide. So 
Uh, every now and then I'm fortunate to get a book bub on it and hopefully they sell a few books, but it, it is unfortunate um, that they put that much time in it. And it was really only about a year before Amazon pulled it out, pulled the plug on the whole yeah. <laughs> thing. So I, I think if I, I learned, it's a little bit like the collaboration and co-writing stuff. It's a little more work than maybe you think it will be right. going in. I thought I'd be just like, here's my story Bible, you know, <laughs> yeah. do whatever you want. But um, so again, for people that are thinking of starting a shared world or something, it's just, you have to be excited about working with other people, <laughs> which is I'm finding a certain kind of author. And then other authors just want to be in their little closet, you know, typing away or your turtle shell. I think that it's called, you're supposed to put your yeah. enclosure around you and just, so it depends on what kind of person you are, if you're going to enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah. And so you decided, cause I know there were some authors. In fact, I wrote in one world where the author decided to then offer publishing contracts to some of the people that were in that world. And that was just not something you were interested in going into at that point. Right. I don't want to be anybody's publisher. I don't want, you know how it is when you got to pay people their 12 cents every quarter, you know, it's yes. like, oh my gosh. I just, I try to keep things, you know, I try to do the 80-20 rule and just like focus on things that have the most return financially and also that I enjoy with my time, you know, because I, even little admin stuff, you know, like the going back and forth on cover art and, and answering emails from uh, authors wanting to do group promos and stuff, that, that much interaction, I just, I look forward to the next day when I can just write and ignore the email, you know, so I, uh, all the power is to the people that want to become publishers. That's awesome. But I am not that person. Yeah. What is the, what's your 20% that gets you just so fired up to get up in the morning? Writing new stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I love. You know, people were actually going to do on our podcast an episode about burnout. And I was like, you know what I get burned out on is the admin stuff. I almost always, it's if, if I get tired of a story, it's usually only lasts for a day or two and I have to figure out like, how to get excited about the next scene. And then I'm all back in it. Uh, I love days where I have like no appointments, don't have to leave the house except to walk the dogs. And I can just write all day. It's, you know, you wish more were like that. Maybe if all days were like that, they'd be less precious, but yeah, <laughs> that is what I enjoy. That's definitely the part is sort of the just writing stories. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you, you had a well-established uh, podcast, a science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast. And, I was listening to the new one where you had already forgotten the name of it. That was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> but, and now you're doing the Six Figure Author podcast. And uh, I, I wonder if you could talk about the, the evolution of your podcast and, and how you got to where you are now. We did the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast. I remember the name. I just, there's like, I would write the initials on the show every week. So I'm like, right. SFFMP. That's what I remember. What did they stand for? I don't know. Um, but we did it for four and a half years or so. And I think I was just, we kind of pigeonholed ourselves a little bit. I felt with that title, like you can only have sci-fi and fantasy people on. You can only talk about marketing, which is, I actually enjoy the marketing stuff because I'm not a natural at it. So I enjoy asking other people like what they're doing that I should be doing. So, um, and I just felt like I was kind of, it was getting repetitive and I was ready to throw a break. And I also did, you know, Joe did like the, uh, what are you editing and putting the episodes on, uh, Libsyn and YouTube and stuff. And then I got the guests and did the show notes. And it's not like it was a lot of work, but it was a work every week to do it. You know, you've got how many podcasts now? Uh, Jay? Four, Five, I six, don't know. 23, <laughs> I, just a few. A few. 
and you know we were never doing it like we didn't have a course or books or anything for it to like lead into it wasn't like oh, here's the top of our funnel we're trying to gather an audience and um we're gonna do things with them it was more like hey come out hang out on our show and you know I'm sure we sold some books of our like sci-fi and fantasy because people found us that way but um so it wasn't really a part of our business plan um, so I think that's a lot of the podcasts that go for a long time where it's just people hanging out and chatting. I'm impressed because <laughs> there's like, there's no payback really. I mean, there's a few, yeah, there's a few uh, perks, I guess, of um, becoming a little more recognized in your community. Um, but so I was kind of ready to be done with it. We, we talked about doing a new one. Joe and I kind of talked about it and I was like, uh, you know, just kind of tired, not sure I want to do this. And then Andrew Pearson had emailed with a long list of suggestions. And I was like, huh, I wonder if she wants to like come on <laughs> and take the reins. And, you know, we figured we just re, uh, I had wanted to rename it or start a new one that was less specific so we could have romance authors and thriller authors and, and didn't have to, we are pretty heavily focused on the marketing, but we hope to have talk about some other things too, uh, you know, some especially the craft stuff that actually helps sell books and be successful. <laughs> not like a little, maybe not the real basic stuff because there's a lot of podcasts that cover that. Um, but so we'll do some of that too. And um, that's just where it is. I think we're up to almost 30 episodes of the new one, and you know, it's a, so far so good. Yeah. I, I I still don't have a course to launch, <laughs> but, you know, and I'm impressed with people that write fiction and do all the nonfiction. And and you guys do like the conferences and stuff. I'm sure that's a ton of work. I'm just like, wow, good 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 job, guys. Well, <laughs> I can't do it. I'm sitting on the other side, going, oh my gosh, five thousand words is a bad day for Lindsay. I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> just planning a conference, and uh, who's on the train this year? <laughs> it, I saw you're doing something. Is it not a train? Uh, it's going to be, yeah, we just did, we did the train to, in California this year, California. in this past January. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, I know like I get this question all the time and I, and I never know how to answer it. So I'm going to ask you, uh, an author <laughs> comes up to you and says, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. What should I do? What do you say? Go for it. Yeah. You no, know, I, I feel like with, with myself, because I actually started two, just me talking into the microphone, and I don't think either one got more than seven episodes. <laughs> so I, I found it was super helpful to get a co-host. You know, somebody that, you know, it's like going to the gym with a buddy. You're just more like, less likely to flop out and, and not do it if you're meeting somebody there every week. So, um, and, you know, I decide too if you want it to be part of a business plan or if you just want to do it for fun both are perfectly fine um, I think that it's probably not a good thing to do if your main goal in doing it is to sell more of your fiction yeah. I haven't really seen anybody successfully just come out of nowhere but they made it in the podcast sphere and then their fiction just blew up right you know it's more like well you might sell a few books but probably not it seems with nonfiction, it's a much easier logical progression for people to go from you're giving them information and look you have books with information the same kind of information that they now believe they want so. <laughs> yeah and, and our our mutual friend joanna penn I, I you know i pay attention to what she's doing and her whole books and travel podcast might be might be one of those places that authors should pay attention to because you know she's not it's not directly selling her fiction but it's sort of it's in that realm, you know, like it, she, she writes books that are that are based on international travel and, and intrigue. And, and 
her podcast is about you know places people visit and books. So that that could be an opportunity if if people are looking for that kind of thing too. Yes, we'll have to spy on her first and yeah. see and see how well you know. Okay, she got a new episode out on Istanbul. Did her thriller that takes place in Istanbul <laughs> jump on the Amazon rankings? Um, yeah, that's such a broad uh, niche though that she could get a big enough audience that um, it would really. You know, even if like only 5% checked out her novels that right. she had in release, it, it might definitely be enough to move the dial. And you can hear her talking that she's really excited about it too and passionate about it. So she's probably okay if it doesn't sell yes. tons of books too. I think she just enjoys doing it. Yeah, good point. Well, I, uh, I'd i like to kind of maybe pull the conversation to a close with a final question uh, that I, I like to ask, and you can answer it however you want, and there's no right or wrong, obviously, but I'm curious as to uh, where you think the publishing industry is headed in, say, the next five or 10 years. All publishing or like indie publishing? Either one or anything. both, yeah. Well, it's definitely, you know, and I don't think, I think everybody's talking about this is pretty competitive now. A lot of people are out there publishing on Amazon, probably not really getting any more readers, getting new Kindles so much in the U.S. Um, definitely opportunities. I think uh, Mark Dawson is just talking about how he did the German translations and they're selling really well for him in Germany. Now the AMS ads, Amazon ads are over there. They're not called AMS anymore. I, I don't know. I think it's just Amazon advertising now, but um, yeah. So I feel like there's still opportunities. It's probably, we know we're past the days where it's going to be really easy just to like, oh, there's a niche that's underserved and I can just jump in there. Although there's certainly some of that too. I think it's going to be a little harder to get lucky. You know, you just have to be prepared to study and learn the marketing side of it. I, you know, I, we still see people that launch kind of out of nowhere and they had the right tropes, they had the right covers, they did just enough of the marketing, other marketing stuff right, that they did really well. So it's certainly still possible to jump in as a new author and do okay. But, um, you know, I, I'm not entirely convinced that it's pay to play. I, I think you can still slowly build up a fan base, you know, use the, if you do exclusive with Amazon, use the free days on your book one to just get your book in as many people's hands. Because I've kind of had the experience this week with the pre-order, putting that up two weeks early. And I, I wasn't going to do anything except practice getting some Amazon ads to like other urban fantasy authors was my goal. I was like, aha, I have Patricia Briggs and Alana Andrews. Let's see if I can get <laughs> some of their readers so that maybe my book ends up in there also bought somewhere. And that didn't work because Amazon sent out a new release alert on like day three. And this spiked up to like 107 in the store with like 900 downloads. And I'm like, well, you just screwed everything up. I was trying to only sell like five a day with these ads and get the right also bought. So forget that. But I, I certainly saw that, you know, now after like, I think I've got about 3,000 pre-orders. This is only a 99 cent book before anybody thinks I'm going to be rolling <laughs> in the Scrooge McDuck, you know, in my uh, <laughs> vault of gold coins. Um, but like 209 or 2,900 of those pre-orders basically were from uh, alerts or my email to my newsletter and like a hundred, I've been like playing with these Amazon ads and like, I don't know, you know, trying to make them work. And I've only managed to do a hundred, get a hundred sales. I'm trying not to spend a fortune. It's a competitive advertising space like the bids are over a dollar um for urban fantasy like, yeah and i'm like who is paying two dollars for this author like your book's only 99 cents even if it's 3.99 you know you're kind of doing good to get like one in ten to convert 
Um, but my rambling point is that very few sales have, of the pre-orders anyway have come from advertising. The rest has come from free things that I've built up over the years from having you know, released other books in fantasy, just readers that are willing to go along on a new adventure. So I think that's still very viable. Just take the attitude of, you know, I'm just going to gradually, you know, I'm going to write more than one book, write more than one series, and over time accumulate readers who will come with me to new adventures. So I, you know, it's tough if you want to do really well not to advertise, but this, you know, not everybody has to sell 10,000 copies of their book the first week. It's, that's not the only road, right? You know, you can just gradually work on it and it doesn't matter. It's better if you're not in the top 100. Nobody's stalking you and like, <laughs> there's no stress. No expectations. <laughs> there's not people talking about you on their Facebook page <laughs> about your new release and like, oh, no, are you doing this? Or are you copying this author? Or, oh, this is not going to work. So it's kind of nice to just be under the radar because there are a lot of people out there. Um, you know, I think Jeff Bezos recently did a update that however many thousands of people were making more than 50,000 a year. Uh, through KDP advertising, or not advertising, KDP dashboard, publishing on Amazon. And that's amazing. That's a livable income in most places. That's, you know, depending on where you live, that could be really good money. Uh, especially if you've got like somebody else in the house that's also got an income. You know, you're sitting pretty at 50000 a year. Just write a couple of novels, do your own thing, gradually build up the fan base. You know, maybe someday you'll hit it big. But even if you don't, you know, you can make a living or even just make some extra money. Uh, and I think that's still going to continue to be possible for people that, you know, work on the craft also and create stories that people enjoy. All right. Lindsay Baroker. Uh, we, we were talking before the interview how we both felt like, man, if we get a thousand, fifteen hundred good words a day, <laughs> that's pretty good. But uh, Lindsay cranks out anywhere from six to ten thousand words a day. That is crazy. I can't um, imagine. And, and I've, I've done it, but I mean, we've talked about this too. Like when I do that, I, I'm exhausted at the end. I feel like I just ran a marathon. And then the next day I, I end up staring at a blank screen for a couple hours trying to figure out what comes next. Um, but, you know, writing is very much like a muscle. I think, you know, you, you just train yourself to do more and more each day. If you start off with 200 words a day that, you know, it's difficult in the beginning, then all of a sudden that becomes easy. You know, you bump it up to 300 and 400 and 500 and 1,000 and 1,200 and just, just keep going. And I'm, I'm sure she didn't start at that level. She worked her way up and you know, got a system in place. And, and now that's her norm. Um, I, I, I can't imagine it. Um, I, I don't think I could pull it off with a toddler in, in my house. I mean, like, <laughs> my, my daughter is banging on my door right now. Like she just took, she just took off her socks and she slid them underneath my door for some reason. Um, you know, so there, there's, there's a lot of distractions happening. So for her to be able to do that, it, it says a lot. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's a machine. Like I, when, when, uh, Zach and Joanna and I were with her in new Orleans for the first authors on the train, like, you know, she could sit down in a session and just and just run off three, four thousand words like I would, you know, read in the newspaper. Like it's so casual for her. And I think you're right. Like she's she's built up that routine over years. I mean, she publishes six, nine, twelve books a year. Um, she's firmly in that rapid release model for independent authors. And I, I again, like I don't know, maybe I need to question my own belief. I'm just not sure that's something I could ever do. I honestly don't know if it's something I'd want to do. I, I don't think I'd want to be that. I mean, I, I love writing. I love doing it every day. But I, I think at that point, it, it just it becomes it's going to dominate everything else. And, 
you know, that, that's, it's not the focus of my life. I mean, family and, and things like that are very important to me too. Um, I, I think I, I could lock, I could easily lock myself in an office, I think, and, and put a hundred percent behind something like that. But I don't know that I would be happy doing that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what we're seeing in, in different indie circles, not with Lindsay at all, but I think people get on that treadmill and then they just can't keep up. <laughs> like, you know, you can do yeah. it for so long and then you just, you just kind of wear out, but she seems to, to just keep going. I mean, multiple pen names, multiple series, multiple genres. Uh, she's, she's a machine. Well, it sounds like she's shutting down the the pen names. Um, and, and I totally get where, where she's coming from. Cause that's something that's real dominant in the traditional world too. You know, they, they put you in your little box and you're this type of author. And if you write anything, that's just a little bit off to the side of that. Um, they either don't want to put it out or they ask you to use a pen name. They, you know, so all of a sudden you've got four or five different names that you're using. Um, I, I, that's something I, I try to avoid as much as possible too, because, you know, it, it's hard enough for me to keep track of, you know, just my own name and what's going on with me. Like I can't imagine, you know, the social media platforms and everything that would be required to maintain multiple pen names on any kind of scale. Um, but you know, if you're putting out the kind of books that she is that, that volume, you know, it, it may make sense because, you know, if you're a reader, you know, even if you've got a favorite author, if they're turning out a book about a month, um, you know, are you really going to read all of those? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I like, I love Stephen King, but you know, if he was putting out books at that level, I, I'd probably read maybe half, you know, and yeah. you want to, you want to break it up a little bit. Yeah. I, I also thought um, a lot of what she talked about around a series was kind of interesting about sort of committing to at least three books uh, and maybe even holding those back and not publishing them until all three are done. What's sort of your general approach to writing in a series? Um, well, I, I get where she's coming from because she said, she, you know, she'll be on the third or fourth book or, you know, somewhere down the line. And since she hasn't published the first one yet, she can go back and she can tweak it and add, you know, an overall story arc and kind of fine tune that. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense because, you know, like it, it, in my life, I wrote 4MK, The Fourth Monkey. Um, and that and that came out while I was writing the second book in the series. And then that came out while I was writing the third book. And I had some really cool ideas that I, I would have been able to squeeze into the overall story if those books hadn't been published yet. But, you know, once you hit that publish button, it's carved in stone and you, you can't go back. Um, so I think that's that's definitely beneficial. And particularly if you're writing at that kind of level. Um, I, I'm honestly curious, you know, if she's writing, you know, seven, 7,000, 10,000 words a day, like how much of that actually ends up in the book? Like, is she overwriting or is she, you know, is most of that actually ending up in the finished product? Um, I would really be curious to, to hear about that. Yeah. And I know she's a, a plotter, so I'm guessing that, that, uh, she's probably not throwing away too many of those, but as far as even revision time and stuff, that's, that's a good question. Uh, cause that's yeah. going to factor yeah. into your process. Right. But I mean, it does get easier. I mean, with each book, regardless of the number of books you're putting out, you know, what, as you build up that system and you understand your beginning, middle and end and how the book is structured, like each, each one is easier to write than the last. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, if, uh, if you guys want to know more about Lindsay, she's got the six figure author podcast, which is uh, a, a great one. She used to do the science fiction fantasy marketing, and then that kind of went away for a while. And then she, this, this new one's been back for about six months. So uh, her and uh, Andrea and Joe are the co-host and they go in deep dives, mostly indie stuff and mostly dealing with uh, real tactical things around, you know, pricing and publishing schedule and newsletters. So if you're interested in hearing more from Lindsay, that's the place to go. Yeah, I'm honestly going to check it out because one of the other things that she brought up is she didn't feel like she was getting a, a huge hit from from advertising from Facebook and, and Amazon ads. Um, she felt, felt the bulk of her sales were coming from her her reader list and her you know her existing market. 
Um, so I'm curious to see, you know, how, how she's building that and just different things other than the norm. Um, like right now, uh, yeah, I don't know when this is actually going to air, but like Mark Dawson just started his ads for authors program. Um, and anybody that's in the, the advertising world right now, you're going to find as soon as he wraps that course, those Amazon and, and Facebook ads get very expensive yes. because a lot of people jump out of his course and they go, okay, I'm an author now I'm going to start paying for ads. And, and they're, they're bidding, you know, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars—insane numbers for some of these clicks. You know, they've got a three-dollar book, and they're they're paying two dollars to get somebody to look at it. Um, and and those people tend to drop out of the system, you know, fairly quickly. Um, but for those initial months after Dawson's program finishes up, you know, that market gets very flooded. Um, so if if you're 100 dependent on on advertising, it, it can be a problem. So I, I, you know, anytime you can diversify, you know, put your eggs in multiple baskets, it's useful. Yeah, good point. Uh, th this may have been the end of the low bid pandemic uh, era of paid advertising for authors. Yeah, I've, I've seen them trickling up. The costs have been going up, you know, as as people emerge from their front door. It seems like those those things are starting to come back to normal. I I, I just ran to the store and like streets that were deserted two weeks ago, you know, they they had traffic again, and you know, it's life is slowly getting back. Yeah, yeah. So something to keep your eye on. Well, cool, man. We have. Uh, we have some great guests coming up. We haven't done this too often because sometimes scheduling requires us to change a few things, but we thought we'd give our listeners a little peek into some of the upcoming episodes. Uh, next week, we are going to have a uh, former presidential candidate and Ohio uh, Congressman Representative Tim Ryan is going to come on the show. And uh, really excited to talk to him because in addition to being a congressman, he is an author. He has published two books and uh, going to be really fun to talk to him about that. Uh, I'm dying to know how you write a book while you're a congressman at the same time. <laughs> now, is he? Um, are, are they nonfiction books or are they fiction? Yeah, they're, they're two nonfiction. One is uh, about, it's, I think it's called Healing America, and um, it's about meditation and the role meditation can play in people's lives. And the, the more recent one is called, um, I think it's the food revolution. And he's talking about uh, big food and big pharma and, uh, and how, you know, food affects our general health. So uh, really relevant and current stuff. And I'm, I'm uh, excited to talk to him about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious too. I mean, back when I did the, the ghostwriting thing, a lot of my clients were actually politicians, um, which, which was always fun because I was writing books for people on both sides of the aisle, but you know, <laughs> basically sit down with somebody with a tape recorder and they, they spend a few hours rattling off the last couple of years of their life. And then you, you go back to your own desk and, and write it up. And I, I did quite a few of those. So it's kind of neat to hear from somebody who's actually doing it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. It should be a fun conversation. So we have him next week. And then, uh, in the upcoming weeks, just to give you all an idea. We've got Honoré Quarter coming on. So Honoré is a superstar uh, hustler. She um, she partnered with Hal Elrod for the Miracle Morning series and, and uh, published tons of books in that series. And she's got her own uh, brand and style going on, mostly nonfiction, although she is starting to write her first thriller. Uh, so, so she's going to be on. That's going to be great. We've also got Dave Chesson coming on. So uh, Kindlepreneur, Publisher Rocket, uh, I don't think there's anyone that I know of that knows more about the Amazon algorithm outside of Amazon than Dave Chesson. <laughs> the guy knows so much about keywords and categories and optimizing book pages for sales. So that's going to be a blast to have him on. And then we also have uh, John Palisanos coming on. He is the current sitting president of the Horror Writers Association. Uh, really interesting guy, fun uh, knows horror inside and out, spent some time in LA and, and uh, has got his fingers in a number of different things. So we have some really fun and exciting guests coming up. 
Yeah, and John was VP for a while there too, so he, he really knows that inside and out. He he picked the absolute worst time to take it all over, um, but he's he's doing a tremendous job. I mean, anybody that's following HWA or ITW or any of these organizations at at this point, you know, the people at the top that are holding it all together, you know, prop, props to them because it's definitely a difficult time to do anything like that. Certainly, I mean, uh, you know, he had big shoes to fill. Lisa did a great job, and then he just kind of stepped in and has been doing fantastic. So it'll be fun to talk to him uh, as well. So some great stuff coming up. All right, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So to our listeners, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.